On today's show, we welcome you to the 1943 episode, where the war is again affecting the league. And again, Geelong sits out, but the VFL come up with a fair way to play the season out, knowing that teams need to have buyers, which will then see me raise a question about Collingwood. We'll also discuss Roy Kazaley's rebranding of Hawthorne. Fitzroy seemed to be back after a long time playing in mediocrity, with Captain Fred Hewson being awarded a world title. Jack Dyer's prediction of vengeance begins to come to fruition, and the Lightning Premiership is back. All that and more after our song. It's the history of football we knows about, and we want to expand what we know. We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick-to-Kick podcast. We are back. We are back in the, uh, the kick cave. We're together. Well, most of us are here. Yeah. i got Charlie to my left. Hi, everyone. i got most to my right. Hello, everybody. And Kazman is not here. He might be. Uh, he might phone it in later. Um, he always phones it in, even if he is <laughs> Just the three of us in here today to talk about the 1943 season. Um, thank you for hanging with us for the last few episodes that we've done over Zoom and our World War II specials that we've, we've had. We mm-hmm. hope you enjoyed those as much as we enjoyed putting them together. Um, but we are here to get back into the VFL seasons. So yes. here today to talk about 1943. Um, let's say hello to our listeners in Portugal, Sweden, and Florida as well. Florida and <laughs> America. Ah, nice. How do you say uh, hello in, port- in Portuguese? Similar to hola, I guess. It's a simil- yeah. Spanish, but not Spanish. Except with... with uh- Possibly, and also I just want to give a shout out to another podcast called Yank on the Footy, which Kaz and I were a guest on yes. uh, a while ago now, and we didn't get the chance to mention that because we were doing our World War Two specials. But yeah, we're on uh, an American guy who does a, a football podcast because he's fallen in love with the game. So we were, Kaz and I were guests on his show to talk about this podcast. So give him a listen he's got an interesting take on uh, lots of different things it would be fascinating it would have been great to, uh, to be part of it I wish I could have been there but just to hear that sort of yeah perspective on, on a game that we, we're so used to mm. Mm. yeah he's never even seen it or touched the Sharon which is great <laughs> yeah. we should ship it. him one yeah alright so uh, 1943 Charlie give us some history 1943, great year. Well, interesting year. Yeah. <laughs> about this. Hit song was Pistol Pack and Mama by Al Dexter. I love that song. Do you? No, I don't know it. I wish I did. <laughs> I, wish I, did. <laughs> I wish someone referred to me as a Pistol Pack and Mama. That'd oh, been that's never going to happen, Charlie. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so interesting year. Um, as we've sort of mentioned at the last couple of episodes and now we've, we've had our specials, we're sort of not going into the details of the war too much. Because there's just too much. We've, we've done it. Yeah, we've done it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but I will start with some uh, World War Two news. And the 1st of January, the Soviet Union announced that 22 German divisions had been encircled at Stalingrad uh, with 175,000 killed and 137,650 captured. So this was... That, that sort of stuff on the on the uh, Western Front was almost the beginning of the end, wasn't it, for mm-hmm. for the Germans? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was a, it was a bad move. Yeah. Uh, on the 
20th of February, the American movie studio executives all agreed to allow the Office of War Information to censor their films. So the government started to step in and change a few things over. Mm. Um, in March, now it didn't give me an exact date, but in March, the exiled French aviator Antoine de Saint-Exupéry self-illustrated children's novella. Does anyone know what it is? Mm. The Little Prince. Oh, okay. The Little published Prince. in New York City. It is still the all-time best-selling book that originated in French. Wow. Wow. So bigger than Les Miserables. And Hugo, mm-hmm. Victor Hugo's. Any, yeah, the mm-hmm. Three Musketeers, all those. There you go. On the 4th of March, the 15th Annual Academy Awards ceremony was held in LA. Mrs. Miniver won the Best, best Picture Award. Yes. No, <laughs> no, no. No idea. But I might have to go back and watch it. You won't. Yeah. <laughs> on the 31st of March, Rogers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma opened on Broadway. Classic. Oh, yes. Um, it heralded a new era in integrated stage musicals and became an instantaneous classic and um, went on to be Broadway's longest running musical up to this time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Up, yeah, it ran for. Six years, I think that's same. Yeah. Six years straight. Yeah. I could be wrong there. You could. It's harder to We'll fact check you. Yeah, (laughs) please do. Someone fact check me. Some Oklahoma fans. Uh, On the 17th of May, the Memphis Bells crew became the first air crew in the 8th Air Force to complete its 25 mission tour of duty. So the aircraft and the crew were the first to return to the US intact for a war bond drive. So the Memphis Bell turned into a movie as yeah, well. Yeah, I've never seen very it. Fam- but you know the name. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Very famous. Uh, on the 29th of May, Norman Rockwell's illustration of Rosie the Riveter appeared for the very first time on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. So it been famously... Uh, you know, used by Beyonce <laughs> and, you know, many others yeah. since that original one. Uh, and unknown time for that year, Jacques Cousteau co-invented the first commercially successful open circuit type of scuba diving equipment, oh. the Aqualung. Yeah, nice. There you go. Clever. So some great things happened yeah. in that year. Hmm. Too bad the ball was still going on. Mm. Um Interesting births. Oh, tell me. Mm. Ah, yes. A few people were born in yes. 1943. In Vienna. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> um, on the 24th of January, Janis Joplin. Yeah. Mm. Um, on the 20... Sorry, did I say... On the 19th of January, Jan- Janis Joplin. On the 24th of January, Sharon Tate. Ooh. So, more recently in all our minds, after uh, Once, Once Upon, Upon a Time, Time in Hollywood. Mm. Yeah. Uh, on the 9th of March, Bobby Fischer, the chess player, who... Uh, Beat the Russian. Yeah, as a, as a kid. No, he, it was a it was a competition when he was a bit older. Wasn't he a child him? chess star as well? Oh, surely. Maybe. Surely yeah. they all are, aren't they? All those yeah, guys. I guess so. Um, on the twenty sixth of March, Bob Woodward of Woodward and Bernstein, who uh, uncovered Watergate, the Watergate scandal, Ooh. the American journalist. On the 29th of March, here's a threesome for you. Eric Idle of Monty Python's Flying Circus the comedian and actor, John Major, the 70th Prime Minister of the UK, and a guy by the name of Vangelis, who was a Greek musician. Yeah, he did Blade Runner. He composed Chariots of Fire, Cosmos, yeah, Blade Runner as well, I think, yeah. I think. Yeah. So Chariots of Fire, that classic, you know. Dun, 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 dun. Amazing. What a three, all on the same day. What a trio. Same day. Yeah. <laughs> 
And only two days later, Christopher Walken, the greatest voice ever to walk the planet Earth. <laughs> uh, on the 30th of April, we have Paul Jennings. Australian oh, Australian. fantastic. Which, I can't believe... Um, I can't believe... Is that old? Is that old? Is that old? <laughs> that old, yeah. On the 5th of May, another of Monty Python's Flying Circus crew, Michael Palin, who now also does all the, uh, the travel documents. Yes. Those, those things. On the 17th of June, Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> On the 3rd of July, Judith Durham. Uh, shout out to my old man here. He absolutely loves Judith Durham and the Seekers. Uh, he hasn't moved on, unfortunately. <laughs> on the 10th of July, Arthur Ashe, the uh, American tennis player. On the 26th of July, Mick Jagger. Mm. On the 17th of August, Robert De Niro. See, I don't even need to say who these people no, are. No. There was a time when we used to do this segment and on, no in the early knew. episodes and they were like, I don't know who that is. Or yeah. No one knew. It was a <laughs> no, very thin segment. Yeah. Yeah. On the 21st of September, Jerry Bruckheimer. On the 8th of October, Chevy Chase. And R.L. Stein. Ah. Who wrote Goosebumps. See that old. Ah. On the 22nd of November, Billie Jean King, the tennis player, player. of course. Uh, on the 28th of November, Randy Newman. Yep. The musician, musician and comp- composer. Did he write um, You Got a Friend in Me? Yes, he, I he believe did. he did. Oh. Toy Story. Yeah. On the 8th of December, Jim Morrison. Who? Is he another member of the 27 club? Yes, 27 I believe club? so. Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison? I believe or maybe so. Maybe yeah. he was a little bit older. I'm not sure. No, I'm pretty sure he was. Um, mm. Have you heard about the 27 Club? I have not. All these, all these people who died. When they were 27, so Jimi Hendrix, oh. Kirk Cobain, Kirk Cobain, um, Brian Jones, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison was one. Yep. Brian Jones and Amy Winehouse. Yep. Was Amy Winehouse only 27? Avicii. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's quite a few who died when they were 27. I'm 27. Ooh, hang in there, Moz. Everything's good. Especially in this time. Just wrap yourself in cotton wool. Oh, gosh. You shouldn't be here. <laughs> no, um, and on the... 18th of December, Keith Richards, Ooh. another one of the Rolling Stones. The 31st of December, we had John Denver, just squeaking into <laughs> oh, 43. I love John Denver. And Sir Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Yeah. Actor. So those two just squeaked into 43 to wrap up a fantastic year. What will happen to this segment when we get to like 2019? Yeah, no one. Uh, no one interesting. <laughs> Yes, Nearly. That we know of. Yeah. We might have to have some guesses. Some predictions. And who might, who's oh. going to do great things. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, we'll think about that. Yeah. All right, let's get to some uh, some league news then. Because mm. it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. So, last season we had the issue with 11 teams um, needing to play an equal season and we saw that that didn't happen because some teams got two buyers and some teams got one. Yeah. Which was just... kind of mucked with the way that the whole thing fell out, especially because they were giving four points to people who had, had a buyer. Yes, yeah, it was a joke. No yeah. um, so, they came up with an interesting concept to solve that this, this season and, um, Moz, you'll, you'll see when you look at the ladder that the bottom team has only played... 10 games as opposed to everyone else playing 15. Oh, yeah. Um, so what they did um, is they had every team play each other once with everyone had a bye. Uh, and then... Charlie? Sorry, we should, we should mention, obviously, the reason that we still only have 11 teams is because Geelong is still not playing because of the war. Yeah, they can't... The petrol rationing and stuff, yeah. they can't get up to mm. Melbourne. Um, 
So all clubs will play the first 11 rounds and hence have one by each. After the 11th round, the lowest club on the ladder uh, would be eliminated and would miss the rest of the season and the rest of the clubs would just play the rest so of the So there would be uh, no buy. So after round <laughs> 10... Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So everyone had a buy, one buy, yep. up until round 11. Yep, and then, and then I guess they must have had to redo the, the fixture. And then whoever was on the bottom <gasps> yep. just dropped. Yep. See ya. Yep, and it's actually... It comes down to a game as well. Like, oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. They should keep that in. Bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That um, keeps it interesting that's, for the yeah. team. Doesn't it? Um, so there's also another patriotic match this season. They played another Lightning Premiership, but with a twist. Uh, they only invited the top four teams. Okay. Mm. So this was held on Saturday the 24th between rounds 11 and 12, all games being played at Princess Park with uh, wartime charities being the fundraiser. Approximately 11,000 people attended these three matches. So it was only three matches in the end. Mm. The top four teams at that stage were Fitzroy, Hawthorne, Essendon and Richmond. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Fitzroy played Hawthorne in the first game. It was Fitzroy winning 34-24. to 24. And yes, you did hear me say Hawthorne in the top four, <laughs> which is odd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second game was Essendon versus Richmond. Essendon won that two goals six eighteen to one goal two eight. The grand final came down to Essendon and Fitzroy, um, which was won by Essendon four five twenty nine to three three twenty one. There you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it's ra- it's raising money. That's yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. thing. That's what it's about. Mm. Yeah, no, nothing else matters. Yep. Nothing yeah, nothing else matters. Um, season interesting season fact as well for the first time. I think ever in the league history, no score of four or fewer goals was kicked in the VFL season. Ah, oh. there we go. Yeah, and there's only been too many goals. Six instances of that happening since, as well. Six instances of less than four goals. Yeah, kicked in a, whole a, game. a team kicking less than four goals. Yeah, so um, it still happens today. I mean, especially yeah. with these low scores, it didn't probably happens more often oh. now. But less than four. I mean, it, yeah. yeah there, well, there's only pretty, seven pretty seasons. Dismal. Seven seasons all up where. There's since been more, then. yeah. Oh, six since then. Huh. Where there's, where there has been none. Yep. Yep. Nineteen sixty nine, seventy three, eighty two, eighty three, two thousand five, two thousand eight. Really? Yeah. Thank you, Swamp Thing on uh, on Twitter for that one. Oh yes, I love the Swamp Thing. Yeah. That's um, that's fascinating. Isn't it? Just a little anomaly. Yeah. Um, the league also introduced a rule which actually was quite important, that if a player was suspended in their army team, because there were lots of army regiment teams, um, they'd not be allowed to play in the league because there was a lot of players just knowing they were shipping off, so they'd just throw their weight around. And, uh, yeah, there were some very uh, aggressive players who, yeah, they had yeah, to okay. they had to enforce like that. that on. I like that. That's um, interesting. And we've got two new umpire debuts this season as well, Henry Hooper and James Jamison. Good oh, a bit of alliteration. Yes. We love, love alliteration. Um so sorry to go back a little bit to the rounds, the way the rounds were. Yep. So there were only sixteen rounds. Yes. Right? So we're saying after round eleven, the the bottom team got dropped out, which means there's ten left in four rounds. And it says here the other ten teams played five matches each. Yes. Yeah, so those sorry in those five rounds. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it was fifteen rounds. Yeah. Sorry, no, sixteen rounds is right. Sorry. Fifteen. So twelve. Fifteen? No, sixteen. Fifteen and a bye. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so each team played fifteen games. Yep. Yeah. So 
if they played five matches each, yeah, they didn't play everyone everyone else twice either. It was just sort of a con- yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, kind of the way it works. Yeah, I mean, we good if we had more information about how they worked out the fixture since yeah after after <laughs> after that team left. But but they've only so they they're not playing four teams twice. Basically, no, plus the team the poor team that gets kicked out. Yes. <laughs> Would that be a financial burden for the team that gets kicked out? Surely. Yeah. And they're losing those five. Well, that's interesting because um, the team that did get kicked out, their members were promised entry to all the games still. Mm. They said, even though your team's gone, you can still come on. But I know their members were quite unhappy about that situation. Yeah. It sucks. Mm. It's quite funny. (laughs) Okay, so going up the ladder. All right, finishing in 11th place. Uh, was St Kilda, and 11th was the bottom of the ladder, by the way. Um, St Kilda with one win, eight losses and one draw, and a lowly percentage of 73.9. So St Kilda, captain coach by Reg Garvin this year. Their lead goal kicker was Jack Connolly with 27. Mm. Their first wooden spoon... Uh, since the twenties, I think mm. it's been a while. But it's been a while since you've you've had fun kicking them while they're down, Charlie. A <laughs> <laughs> real bully, aren't I? When it um, comes to St Kilda, yes. Look, I'm sure they'd be happy to add another spoon to that collection. <laughs> <laughs> that drawer would be full. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah, no, I can't believe it. Well, it's been a long time since we haven't heard one of the those um three. New beginners at the bottom, hasn't it? It has been a while. So 1924 was the last time. St Kilda won the St Kilda, yeah. And the last team that wasn't one of the new teams that won the wooden spoon was Fitzroy in 36. Yeah. So, yes, their hot new recruit at St Kilda was Sam Loxton, who played in many positions for the club, including midfield, half forward and full forward, um, because they were looking for a replacement for Billy Moore. Yeah, now someone someone to kick goals. How many did he end up kicking? 800? Almost 800. Something ridiculous, Yeah. yeah. Great man. Um, round one saw a close two-point loss to Hawthorne. However, Jack Connolly kicked six goals in just his fifth appearance with the club. Uh, round two was a draw with North Melbourne, eight fourteen apiece at Arden Street. Um, and their only other win would come in round. Well, sorry, their only win for the season would come in round five against Carlton at Turak Park. So St Kilda still playing at yeah, Turak Park. Yeah. Uh, the Saints kicking away in the last quarter to win by two goals. So six points for the season. Six points. Now, I, yeah, not good. Um, I foreshadowed this earlier. The season came down to round 11, and they played South Melbourne, who were also on the bottom. The winner of this match would stay in the competition. The loser relegated. Okay, well, we'll obviously wow. more, but So South had obviously had a draw as well at some stage. No, but if St Kilda had won that, they would have le- leapfrogged. Oh, yeah, of course. That stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the season came down to this match against South Melbourne. The loser sitting out the rest of the season. Um, St Kilda fell behind in the first quarter, but a five-goal-to-one second quarter saw them take the lead by three points. Um, they then ran out of puff. So it took them so much effort to get back in front, they just couldn't sustain it. Uh, They only added three goals in the second half, uh, Loxton and McIntyre kicking three each for the Saints, but that was their season over, unfortunately, after 10 rounds, or 11 rounds. Um, And as I said, Saints fans were infuriated with the league for this. It was un-Australian not to give a battler a go. (laughs) He got a go for 10 weeks. And you couldn't do yeah. anything with it, fellas. Yeah, you yeah. couldn't sustain that energy through the entire <laughs> game. Don't give a bat where it goes. <laughs> Such tall poppy syndrome. Mm. They're so good at it. That's great. Uh, Collingwood came in 10th with 5 wins, 10 losses and a percentage of 89.6. So Collingwood in 10th well, spot. We know, we know what's going on. Don't now, we? But 
this I've, I've got a little issue with this because Collingwood played a full season so I almost feel like they deserve the wooden spoon instead of St Kilda of all the teams that played a full season, Collingwood were the worst. That's a good point. Very good point indeed. Mm. Maybe they can get like a small wooden spoon. <laughs> yeah. Like a they can get a, a full size wooden spoon. Western Kilda get a half size wooden spoon. Yeah. yeah. Co wooden spoon. Like, you know, Made I, of a when I think material. of a wooden spoon, I'm thinking of like you know something you'd use to stir a big pot. Maybe they could get a plastic one spoon, like a wooden spoon the size of like a dinner spoon. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> <laughs> Or a spatula. Yeah, yeah perfect. Uh, so, coaches and captains? Collingwood, captained by uh, the Prince Among Fullbacks, Jack Regan, cap, uh, coached by Jock McHale. Lead goal kicker was Albie Panham. Uh, so, debutants included Fred Negri and Charlie Utting. Now, we will hear a bit more about Fred Negri as time goes on, won't we? He's, he's a pretty handy player. Is he? Oh, I think so. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Um, now... In the VFA, and hopefully Murph will talk a bit more about this, um, they had the shutdown. So Ron Todd came begging and said, you know, can you take me back, Collingwood? Oh, hey. uh, yeah. They ignored him. Of course yeah. they did. Yeah. They are bitter, bitter mm-hmm. people. Aren't they? <laughs> um, now, round one, they had a resounding win over North Melbourne despite woeful kicking. They kicked six goals, 22. Um, Lou Richards kicked three goals in this three-point win. So it was a close game. Um, yeah, Lou Richards being used as a forward more than uh, anything else at this stage of his career in his early playing days. It's his okay. second season. Yeah, little little pocket rocket there. Yeah. Uh, look, things look good after round six. They beat St Kilda by 45 points and set on the cusp of the four. However, from there they would lose six straight games uh, to Essendon, Melbourne, Fitzroy and South Melbourne and Hawthorne. Then round 12 against arch rivals Carlton, whom they had beaten at Princess Park early in the year. They came, so Carlton came to Vic Park and they absolutely dominated the Magpies to win by 104 points. Ooh. Wow. Mm. That wouldn't have happened in a long time. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, Melbourne smashed them a few years ago. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Collingwood don't, especially back in Jock McHale's days, they don't suffer a lot of no, big defeats. Big losses, mm. yeah. Uh, round 13, however, they bounced back. And if not for inaccuracy on goal in the first quarter, they would have uh, done a similar thing to North Melbourne. And then round 16, Collingwood's losses dropped them into last place among the teams who had played the full season, but the spoon had already gone to St Kilda. Yeah, I feel, yeah, it's a strange it's one, isn't it? isn't it? Yeah. There's so many anomalies. Yeah. I reckon in another 50 years when people talk about season 2020, there'll be similar conversations to be had, I think. Yeah. Mm. And there's definitely an asterisk next to whatever happens this year. But... Shouldn't there be an asterisk in front of 42 and 43 because Geelong weren't there? Yep. Essendon in 1897 and 24 because they won it in round robin. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Fitzroy, Fitzroy in 16, any, any time there's a war on, asterisk. Yep, I say there should be. Yep. But, I mean, you don't, you don't, you know, you, you don't really remember that. You still got Exactly. It's just interesting to sort of think about, you know, the, uh, the circumstances going on. Because as I've said many times, Melbourne should have had five in a row. <laughs> Um, you can say it anytime you want, Charlie. I will. I'll continue to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. North Melbourne finished ninth with five wins, nine losses, and one draw, which clearly had to be against St Kilda. <laughs> they finished on a percentage of 77. Very low. North Melbourne captain coach and lead goal kicker Bill Finley. He managed to kick 43 in 43. Uh, yeah, so North Melbourne... I've got some really good debutants as well that Kaz is going to have to choose between. Yes. We've got Dick Day, Basil Bretheran, Ted Wellington, Kevin Dynan, George Garlic. Yeah, love it. Um, Dynan on garlic. 
And we've, oh, yeah. we've also got Ron Sox Cooper, who's crossed from Carlton. Ah, Soxie! Ah. Now, round one. Despite kicking more goals, North Melbourne lost their opening game to Collingwood by a handful of points. North showed fine form, but failed to connect with their forwards. But then in round two, we've got Sal Murray playing his first game of the year. He's their big goal kicker yeah. at the moment. We talked a few episodes back about him. They were 19 points down at three-quarter time against St Kilda and finished with great dash to draw the game. Dick Abikhair was best on ground, and uh, Sal Murray kicked three, and he's come back. Good man. As you'd expect. Uh, and then he really got his rhythm going in round four. Sal Murray kicked six as the shin bone has knocked over Melbourne. Mm. Disappointing. Mm. <laughs> Round six, coming back from a huge loss to Fitzroy the week before, North saw an exciting finish at Arden Street, uh, where South Melbourne came back and really challenged them in the last quarter. South actually hit the post four times, uh, which enabled North Melbourne to hang on grimly to their one-point advantage. And North, by its more even display, deserved the win, and Murray, so Murray kicked another six. Oh, amazing. Back with vengeance. Round 10, North showed excellent teamwork, was faster, better in the air, and in the ground play and was much too good for Footscray whom hit the post six times in this game oh my god so North have got a bit of luck on their side in 43 Uh, round 11 a fast rugged game with two scoreless quarters one from each team resulted in a narrow win for North Melbourne North's determined defence saw them eke out a five goal lead at three quarter time and they managed to hold on as Carlton came charging back at them in the last quarter Uh, North then suffered four losses in a row before a dramatic win in the last round over Hawthorne. Um, Saw their season end on a high. Yeah, good way to finish. Um, And there's much more to that game, but I might talk about that more when we get to Hawthorne because it's uh, very dramatic. Um, South Melbourne finished eighth with six wins and nine losses and a high percentage of 105.8. Uh, South Melbourne, captained by Herb Matthews, coached by Joe Kelly. Their lead goal kicker was um, Claude Kolf, I believe is how you pronounce it, C-U-L-P-H, with 35. South Melbourne. South. So debutants, Bill Icky and Jack Sweet. I like that. (laughs) Icky and Sweet. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even see that like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, so, a spiteful round one match between Essen and South Melbourne. In fact, a vicious brawl broke out in the last quarter when South Melbourne's Jack Basher Williams. Yeah, so it was destined to happen, wasn't it, with a nickname like fell, that? Yeah, he felled Ted Lehane, um, which was apparently payback for the preliminary final of 1942. Oh, okay. You know, Essen then coming back over the top of South in the second half yeah. in that game. Um, fallout. F- so, um, this uh, final quarter, it was a bit of a brawl. Uh, which involved a dozen players, team officials, trainers, fans, and police. The police were involved in the brawl? They had to come onto the yeah. field to I help wrap it up. I was hoping they are coming in and starting to <laughs> whack, whack in. Yeah. Um, three players were reported. Williams received an eight-week suspension for striking four different players. Basher. <laughs> oh, so, so he's, yeah, yeah, he hit a few people. Yep. 1940 Brownlow medal winner Herbie Matthews, Moz, mm. was suspended for four weeks for striking Alan Hurd, James Hurd's grandfather. Herb. Um, and yeah, as I said, umpires, police and troopers had to intervene to stop yeah. this brawl. Uh, it was no surprise then that in round two, they lost to the Demons by 23 points. Uh, and to further hurt the team, Lindsay White, their star recruit from Geelong, injured his ankle and wouldn't miss the next three games. Mm. Lindsay White, of course, being their leading goal kicker the previous season. Yeah, who was um, supposed to go to... Who was... Who was Footscray it? tried to recruit him and That's took right. his brother instead. <laughs> um, now, because if you remember, South Melbourne played finals, the preliminary final the season before. They finished... 
third. They won their first final yeah, against the Bulldogs. Right. And now they're bundled out. Well, they haven't won a game yet. They had a further six losses in a row. Oh. Quite some close ones. They lost to Fitzroy by a point, Hawthorne by 10, and then North by a point. Um, round 10 saw their first ever win, the first win of the season, which was a 50-point emphatic victory over Collingwood at Victoria Park. Yeah, but wooden But then they entered into round 11, which was the St Kilda South Melbourne showdown with a loser. Um, oh, so the lakeside pennant, pennant, even though no one's Yeah, playing so this is really, like, this is the most important lakeside pennant because the winner gets to continue on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. So this is the ultimate. Um, so, as, as I said, obviously, we know South Melbourne won because yeah. we've, we've spoken about St Kilda already. Um, yeah, so it was a winner-take-all, really. South Melbourne won the game by 35 points. Um, and the win also levelled the Lakeside pennant tally at five wins apiece. Great. Mm. So they were, I think they were 3-0 down at one stage and they've, they've come back they've to, come back. to level the ledger. That's good. And the second half of the season was almost the opposite of the first. They won six of their last seven games, including five wins over Melbourne, Collingwood and Footscray. Their only loss being to Hawthorne. Oh, they had a new lease after this they weren't knocked out. Every time you say someone lost to Hawthorne, I'm just like, what? What do yeah. you mean? <laughs> this um, can't be happening. The last game against Footscray, all the players wore black armbands in tribute to fallen ex-premiership star Len Thomas. Uh, Melbourne, unfortunately, finished seventh with seven wins, eight losses and a percentage of 88.7. And the mighty D's, captain coach by Percy Beams, the one and only, the great man, mm-hmm. lead goal kicker, Fred Fanning with 62. Melbourne. The mighty D's. So, uh, a debut of Ron Hobber mm-hmm. and I think Dennis Cordner Dennis as well. Dennis Cordner. Ah. The third of the brothers. He's joined Don and Ted. Yeah. Um, he made his debut in round five. There you go. Um, so, yeah, Demons only had seven of their 1941 premiership side available <laughs> for this season, which was two seasons ago. Should have won six in a row. Already said it. I've upped it. <laughs> My one. six. I've upped it one now. <laughs> six in a row. Um, so round one, their first clash of the year, Melbourne wore black armbands as a tribute to fallen servicemen who included uh, Blue Truscott, Harold yeah. Ball, Ron Barassi and Noel Ellis. Uh, players then stood for the last post and two-minute silence for all the lost league players. Um, they suffered a three-point loss to Fitzroy and Jack Mueller was a- reported for abusive language and suspended for four matches. Ah, mm. old eight-finger Mueller. <laughs> My fave. Yeah. <laughs> 80% <he>? fingers. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, Dennis Cordner made his debut in round five, as you said, in a team that also contained his brothers, Don and Ted. Ted, yeah. Um, did they all play in that game together? Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, so they played, well, I'm assuming they would have played a lot of games together, all three of them. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, no. Yeah. There must have been the Danahers who must have been the next The next group, group yeah. <laughs> that's bigger. Yeah. Um, mid-season, Melbourne played the Ballarat League in a, in a fundraising match. Like a Ballarat All-Stars. Yeah. And they won. 156 to 34. Sorry, I've, I've written... 156 uh, to 34? <laughs> no, hold on. No, sorry. 156 to 63. Okay, a 96-point win. Fred Fanning kicked 14. Wow. <laughs> Here we go. That's, that's a name we'll hear a lot of. And round seven, uh, Fred Fanning was instrumental in keeping the Demons in the game against Carlton. He ended the day with eight. Melbourne had the lead throughout the game, but Carlton came back. Neither side scored for the first 10, ten minutes of the final term before Carlton gold from a free kick to take the lead uh, back for the first time since the first quarter. Then Dalton responded by rolling a goal through from the scrimmage before Fanning's eighth goal gave his side a handy break. Uh, Carlton did cut the gap to five points, but Melbourne were able to hold on. 
Uh, round eight, with the Cordoners dominating, the Ds won the game against Collingwood by a goal. Uh, now, come round 12, they'd actually won five games in a row, including the bye. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so they won four, then had a bye, and then won the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat St Kilda, Essendon, had a bye, and then smashed the Doggies by 80 points. A seven goal to one second quarter setting up the win, along with Fred Fanning kicking 11. Um, this will be Melbourne's biggest ever win against Richmond at Punt Road. Sorry, biggest ever win at Punt Road, because that was their home ground. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, round 13 would be their equal biggest loss at Punt Road. Oh. 79 points to South Melbourne, which is a 159-point turnaround from the week before. To South, really? So they've really turned it on, haven't they? In the second they've, half of the season, South. Good. Well, they were a good team who just fell apart. That um, Lakeside pennant really just picked them up. It did, yeah. yeah. Yep. Got them going again. Uh, and they ended the season on a high by beating Collingwood. The Demons won by virtue of a six-goal-to-one blast uh, with use of the wind in the opening term, fanning with seven. All right, now, before we get to start talking about Footscray, Charlie... Footscray. Um, we've had to say goodbye to Anna. We have. You She's are, had to leave us, unfortunately. But as, as a replacement... Can you believe Straight it? off the bench, Gazman. Here he is. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. Through the, <laughs> through the revolving door... Anna walks out, she opened the door, Kaz opened the window, in he came. Yeah, it was right. fantastic. Snuck in there. Well Super done, Kaz, man. Good to have you here for the uh, the pointier end of the ladder. Footscray came in sixth with seven wins, eight losses, and a percentage of 93.6. So above Melbourne, Melbourne only in percentage. So Footscray... Mm. Charlie, tell us a little Six. bit about what's happening there. So, captain coached by Arthur Oliver this year. Their lead goal kicker was Alan Collins with uh, 41. Yeah, so you might remember last season, Norm Ware was the captain coach of Footscray. Mm. Um, he was serving with the Army and wasn't actually transferred, couldn't get a transfer back to Melbourne. So that's why they went with, uh, who did you say? Arthur Oliver. Oliver. Yeah. yeah, as their captain coach that season. Um, some good de- uh, debutants for you, Kaz. Bill McTaggart, Harry Jing- Gingle or Jingle? I'm going to say Jingle. Gingle? <laughs> Is it Y G Y N G E L L? Yeah. Gingle. Gingle? Twitter. Jingle? <laughs> Let us know, please. And Pat Hand. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. That's fun. Um, also, Footscray are back at the Western Oval this year after their one-year sojourn. Sojourn, yeah. To, to uh, the Yarraville Oval. Delightful. Glad to be back. Um, so, Footscray had the bye in round one, and following that, they hosted Carlton at Western Oval, their first game back after playing the 42 season at Yarraville. Um, despite holding a small half-time lead, Carlton overtook them in the second half, and uh, they only managed to add two goals. And if you remember last season as well, Footscray did quite well. They finished in the, yes. in the finals. Uh, got knocked off by South uh, in that final, but yeah, back in the finals yeah. after a few years They're out. Very close again this year. They sort of yeah, not too the far end, off, They kind of yeah got pushed down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Round three was their first win of the season. It was a good one, beating Collingwood at Victoria Park by eight points. Alan Collins, the star, kicking six for them. Oh, that's great. Yeah, any time <laughs> you beat any any time you win at Vic Park is is good. It's a good time. <laughs> round five, the Bulldogs became the first team since round 12, 1941 to beat Essendon at Windy Hill. They downed the Dons by eighty by eight points, not eighty. Um, Alan Collins again, being the star, he kicked seven. Hey, old trusty Collins. I need to find out a bit more about this Alan Collins. Yeah. Well, round six, when the doggies destroyed Melbourne to the tune of eighty points, they found themselves on top of the ladder. They'd won four of their first five games. Um, and things were looking good, however. 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 Between round 9 and 13, the Doggies lost five in a row, 
And it wasn't until they beat North Melbourne at Arden Street that they uh, actually picked up another win, which was uh, late in the season. Uh, this sort of dropped from second on the ladder down to seventh on the ladder. So first to seventh, really. Yeah. Uh, they beat the Bombers again in round 15 by 13 points at Western Oval, holding the Bombers to one goal in the last quarter uh, to run away with the win, and that was the last of their season, and then they lost the final game of the year. Uh, missing out on finals by, what was that, uh, two wins. Looking, and looking extremely promising. Yeah, two wins and quite a bit of a percentage as well, yeah. as Moz told us, uh, 93.6%. Collins was yeah. discovered by Yarraville officials when he was kicking a football in a paddock. In Yarraville? I hope so. So maybe that's some like the they fact that they were playing the in Yarraville quite helped, and there's no VFA. Yeah, yeah. Well, that definitely helped a lot of people, didn't it? Yeah, it right. didn't help them in the, f- in the, end. the end of the season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but uh, obviously he ran into some form pretty early on as well. Well, it sounds like he wins the best and fairest. Did he win the goal kicking? And the goal Alan Collins did. Yeah, forty-one. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Oh, forty-one. Nice. Does he play for Longcas? Uh, there's more about him in forty-three, and finishes up in. I don't know. We are we're, we're in forty six. Yeah. Cool. Four Four Collins. Not that long, but you know, does all right. Cool. Yeah. Hawthorne finished fifth, just out of the top four, with nine wins, six losses, and a percentage of one hundred and three point nine. Hawthorne, the Hawks, the Hawks, and we'll we'll get into that in a minute. We will. Uh, captain by uh, Robert Williams, coached by the great man Roy Kazali. Up there, they say mm. about him. One of the great mustard pots. And uh, the <laughs> lead goal kicker was uh, Wal Culpit with 43 in 43 as well. Nice. That seems to be the number. Yeah. Here's a good debutante for you, Kazman. Mm. Alan Nutter. <laughs> was he one? By all accounts, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. All right. Now, round one. Just be careful how... It's, Listen to how I word this. The Maybloom's got off to a sensational start. 28 points down against St Kilda at Turak Park. Hawthorne fought back for a gutsy two-point victory. Gutsy. Round one. Now, during the week following this win, Hawthorne's coach Roy Kazali renamed the club. He can do anything he wants. He's Roy Kazali. He, um, he decided he wanted to rename that Maybloom's weren't a strong enough image. Um, he always hated the Maybloom nickname. It's an obvious one, let's be honest. And um, according Shit. to Robert Allen's book... The Kazali book um, that we, you know, we talked to talked yes, about um, yeah. a, few, a few years ago now. Yeah, it was. Last year. Um, there's a few stories kind of behind this, a few versions of the story. Do you, do you have any of them or do you? Well, yeah, so the stories were, one was that it was Kazali's daughter yep. that came up with it. Yep, his daughter, Pat. Yeah, another was that um, the they had a meeting at the club and decided, and there was a... a there was a hawk at the club already somewhere. No, in there wasn't. They got that they in. They got that in after yeah. they decided. Oh. Um, and finally, Vic Hocking, the club secretary, was in, was inspired by his hometown of Eagle Hawk near Bendigo, and that okay. was another one of the yep. theories. Yep. Oh. Um, now, Laurie Peters, who's a fourth-year player, recounted that on the Thursday night before the game, Kazali, Hocking, and a few others went into the committee room to rename the club, and when they came out, Vic stated, we are now called the Hawks. Love it. The only action arising was a request for Hocking to find a stuffed hawk for the committee room. Yeah, perfect. And, I mean, we went and spoke to Peter Habe. Yeah. And they and don't have it. Not that one, but there were heaps, they, they've of, got heaps, heaps of, of different hawks, been, yeah. which I think were actually falcons, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, there's a couple of fa- there were a couple of falcons. <laughs> I think there's a couple of people arguing that they were the original yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's an interesting one. And also, I mean... I can't imagine he he went out on a limb saying that Maybloom's wasn't a great nickname either. Like, I can't yeah. imagine there was a much pushback on that. Being like, no, we want to be the Maybloom's. Yeah. yeah, especially in this day and age now where we've got the everyone gorillas is, and we've yeah. got, everyone's got, like, an animal yeah. monkey. Um, it seemed like this hawk thing caught on. It yeah. just die. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll hear about St Kilda's new nickname in a few seasons as well. Oh, mm. 
the unicorns. Give it a crack. See what happens. Round two. The Hawks came up against the Bombers with their new moniker. Um, So, in his pre-match address, Kazali urged the players to play like Hawks, swoop in for the ball, and soar like birds of prey. Works for me. They lost this match by 31 points. (laughs) But the Mayblooms were dead, and I'd also like to point out that Essen and the Bombers were the very first team to beat the Hawks. Yeah, if you look at it there that way, yeah. I like that. Um, now round three, the following week. <laughs> the following week, I'd also like you to know the Hawks' very first win was against Melbourne oh, great. by forty-five oh. points at Punt Road. Wally Culpert kicked nine goals in a sensational performance. Um, so the, actually, the move of Culpert to full forward was a brilliant piece of coaching by Roy Kazali. He recognised the side's need for a spearhead, and Kazali kept the forward line completely clear for Culpert, who had previously played in defence. There any talk of Roy pulling on the boots again? At what? What, what is he now? Fifty-two or oh, something like that? And look, I think he does in another season. Yeah, maybe down in Tasmania. He does, but, yeah, he does. But I think Hawks, like he only ever threatened that when the clubs were doing poorly, and Hawks are doing all right here. Okay, yeah, exactly. Round eleven was a vital match against Collingwood at Glenferry. The Hawks trailed by a point at the finals change. So disgusted was Kazali with the side's performance, he refused to even come out and address them at three-quarter time. <laughs> Tommy Lahiff told his told his players to whack blokes so Tommy the Turk had no qualms in leading this way Uh, he smashed the great LB Panem in the face at the start of the quarter and a rattled magpies lost the plot I love it Tommy Um, the Turk is such a great (laughs) name it's something from a Guy Ritchie movie (laughs) Uh, playing the man and not the ball uh, the Hawks got up for a famous win by 25 points it goes straight to Panem after the match President Dr Jonah told Lahiff he strongly disapproved of his actions but Lahiff's point that he won the match stopped him in his tracks Lahiff would be appointed coach for the following season. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Um, Now, the final round of this season with the Hawks is very dramatic. So coming into the final round, Carlton, Fitzroy, Richmond and Hawthorne were all on 40 points. And the Blues were to play the Roys, uh, meaning a Hawthorne victory would see them make the finals for the first time ever. They would skip over whichever team lost. So if Fitzroy lost, then... Oh, yeah, because, yes, no matter what, one of them was going to end up on 40. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Hawthorne were playing the lowly North Melbourne, who we know have finished down in ninth Mm. Um, at Arden Street. However, the side was dealt a massive blow when Wally Culpert was unable to get leave from the RAAF and had to withdraw. Um, And we know Culpert was playing pretty well. Yeah, he was their lead goal kicker. Yeah, he'd been moved to full forward at nine goals in round three. Um, How many kicked? 41. 43. 43 for 43. Um... So it was no surprise that Hawthorne couldn't kick goals early. In fact, they managed a dismal zero goals eight to half time to trail by 25 <laughs> points. With their season on the line, the Hawks came out firing after the break, kicking six goals straight to reduce the margin to three points. That's massive. The Hawks threw everything at the shin boners in the final term, but they just couldn't find the goals, Kaz. <laughs> by goal. late in the final term, Hawthorne had kicked one goal eight and four out of bounds on the full for North Melbourne's two straight goals. So it was 13 shots a goal to two. Uh, Kazali was going mad on the sidelines and there were no runners in those days. Um, And um, yeah, the siren went. Hawthorne had lost by a solitary point. Seven goals, 16 to eight goals, 11. Drama didn't stop there. It is good to hear Hawthorne struggle. Hawthorne (laughs) believed that two North Melbourne players were unregistered and challenged the VFL during the week. Oh, of course. Saying we should have got the win. Um, But the VFL investigation revealed that the game was given the all clear. Hawthorne missed the finals in what would prove to be Kazali's last game as coach for the VFL. As a coach in the VFL, yeah. And that would have been their first finals appearance. 
Ever, yeah. yeah, yeah. That yeah. would have been, I mean, a huge feather to his cap. Yep. That's his string to his bow. Either. Yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> All right, let us move on Sorry, then. Sorry, I didn't have one, but uh, I'll think of it later. <laughs> <laughs> to the top four. The top four. Okay, Carlton scraped into the finals, coming in fourth, finishing with nine wins, six losses, and a huge percentage of 125 yeah, the biggest percentage for the season, 125. Uh, so, captained by Jim Francis, coached by uh, Perth Bentley, uh, their lead goal kicker was Jack Rout with 33. Mm, he was a good little pickup from North Melbourne, he Jack certainly Rout. was. Uh, debutantes, Ron Boys. Hmm. Ronnie Boy. Ron Boys. Ronnie Boys. And Ted Tuhill. <laughs> Bit of alliteration, love it. <laughs> Can't go wrong. Uh, all right, Rod McLean got into so many fights in the Army Services League this season that he was actually banned from playing for the whole season. We talked about that in the league news that <laughs> how they Army yep. Army suspensions counted in the VFL. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So uh, yeah. Rod McLean, who just went berserk because they they play games, guys, thinking you know if I get shipped off tomorrow, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to absolutely bash everybody. Yeah. So the VFL yeah. supported yeah. that, and uh, Rod McLean didn't play didn't play a game this season for them. It's the Lynch theory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, saying that's also like um, one of the first examples of something happening in the community, and then uh, you know having an impact. Yeah, in you there. can absolutely say that. Oh, good. yeah, good, good little pick up there, Carlton. Okay. <laughs> um, such was the effect of the war that an average of only four players could attend training at Carlton during the year. Oh God. Hmm. Round one was a sobering reminder of the war raging at the time, um, and they paid tribute to Jim Park, who was killed in action in February. Mm. In New Guinea, spectators, players, and officials all stood in silence while a lone bugler played the last post before the game. Uh, in this game, Jim Baird would kick 10 goals in what was a big win over the Tigers. Massive. Round two, this 20-point win Which over the... We should say, sorry, is, is a massive considering that the Tigers have just come out of a grand final. The Absolutely, before, yeah. And been, they get flogged Absolutely by Carlton. Flogged. Yeah. Uh, probably yeah. on the emotion of that moment as yeah. well. Oh. Um, round two was a 20-point win over the Doggies, which was their 10th win in a row, stretching back to 42 because they won their last, what was it, eight the previous season but just missed out on finals. That's right, yeah. Uh, which was actually one of their best winning sequences of all time. You if go. you go across two seasons. I don't really, I don't subscribe to a, a streak going across two seasons. Oh, uh, I don't mind it. I don't mm, mind it. I'll allow interesting it. Stat. No, it's one, an interesting one stat. One season, one streak. Because so what have we got Richmond recently? You know they've they won from the year before all the way up to the grand final. That's that's one thing that sold that particular stat. For that me. was the MCG winning, wasn't it? Where yeah. they won yeah. what, eighteen or nineteen in the row. But the to come to come back to start a new season and just keep it going seems pretty strong. It's a different thing. I agree. Yeah. Like it's the bookies would be into that one. You can't you can't call it. It's not a streak, is it? It's something else. The, yeah, you gotta have a special different name season for it. breaks yeah. the streak. Yeah. Mm. Um, write us in. <laughs> so we're arguing, but we agree. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. <laughs> um, round four to seven were all losses, including a shock loss to St Kilda in what would be Jim Knight's final game. Round eight saw them finally win again, beating the Gorillas by 39 points. Round 12, maybe this is what you were thinking of, a 104-point demolition of the Magpies at Victoria that Park. That could be what I was thinking Against of. their hated rivals, Collingwood, Carlton's key forwards dominated this match. Everyone's getting a Their captain, Jim Francis, playing at full forward, kicked eight. Jack Rout booted seven, and Mick Price added another five. It would be their biggest win over Carlton until the year 2000. Nice. In around 14, Carlton captain Jim Francis suffered a knee injury that ended his celebrated career. Uh, in this epic battle, Carlton versus Essendon at Windy Hill, popular clubman Ron Hines 
provided some consolation in his debut game as the Blues downed the Bombers by three points. So Ron Hines debuted. He must be a good player. <laughs> um, round 15 popular clubman and perennial 19th man Charlie McInnes had a memorable afternoon kicking six goals from the forward pocket uh, as the Blues crushed the shin boners by 66 points he was the difference he was uh, myth had it that um, munitions worker Bob Chitty playing for Carlton in round 15 um, lost the top of his finger during the week at work um, but muse- blues- yeah, the Bluesium Research says that happened in 1945. Okay. So it's a popular myth, not true. Um, they lost their final round match to Fitzroy, but because Hawthorne also lost, Didn't they matter. qualified for finals. Um, and also an interesting season because Carlton beat the top two sides, but also lost to the bottom two sides. Yeah. Which oh, doesn't happen very often. It it's does a not. fun Swamp Thing stat. Well, that's when the old uh, Bobbly like Carlton rumour starts. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, also, some sad uh, sad times at Carlton as we have lost Hackenschmidt died this year in yes. 43 and Alex Bongo Lang, the controversial uh, yes. uh, bribery Scandal player. of yeah. 1910. I'm reading that book at the moment. It's very yes, interesting. Okay. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Mm. Yeah. Can't wait to hear more about that, Tim. Yeah. Uh, Fitzroy came in third with 10 wins, 5 losses and a percentage of 109. The Gorillas in third. Back in the finals. Bang there you go. Chest. Can you believe it? First time in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think how long. Does it have to? Oh, since the 20s at least. Yeah. Mm. Everything's right That's again. Me. So, captain coached by Fred Hewson. Their lead goal kicker was Jack Grant this year with 42. Um, yeah. 1924 was the last time they played finals. Mm. After a very so long time. So, 19 years. Yeah. Massive. A long time. Um, yeah, so as you said, Fred Houston had taken over as captain coach because Dan Minogue stood down. Uh, first thing Houston told his players was, I want you boys to know that I haven't been over anyone's head to get the po- coaching position. The job was offered to me and I was asked to accept it, and I have. Okay. Um, now, ex-Pi Stan Dawson was recruited across to help the, uh, the Fitzroy Gorillas this season as well. I haven't heard of him, but... <laughs> Round one was a great win over the Demons by three points, which was one of the two times that Len Smith was able to kick more goals than his brother Norm. <laughs> Len kicked five, Norm three. Um, this was, however, Len's only game for the year as he was posted up to Darwin for service. Okay. Uh, at least you got that one. Yeah, got it over your brother. <laughs> you need one. to get something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After the bind round two, round three saw South Melbourne visit them at Brunswick Street Oval. Yeah. Um, so every time they talk about Norm Smith, Len's going to be like, nah, I was better. Yeah. yeah. And this uh, this win actually ranks, uh, there's a new book out by Peter Carter. It ranks Fitzroy's best 100 wins. This is number 58. Oh, really? In that That's list. Cool. Yeah. I love that. Uh, the Gorillas kicked four goals, 12 in the first half, and they led by four goals. But then South, South went berserk, kicking nine goals, five in the third quarter alone. Uh, they led by 23 at three-quarter time. And then the Gorillas stormed back in the last quarter, which became a seesawing affair. Uh, in the very last minute of the game, with the team down by five points, Bert Clay snapped the winning goal from an almost impossible angle. Oh, really? Yes. Love it. Now, tell me, was this the match where there was a bit of a, a show at halftime? Have you heard about this? Yes. It was. Oh, During halftime... Do you want to say it? Do you want to say it? I'd love to. I'd love to, because this is great. Go. It's good. Yeah. So, at halftime, ca- Captain Fred, yep. Fred Hewson, uh, led a display against uh, some American servicemen yep. of who could uh, propel... I guess is the way yes. to say it. Propel their f- sports ball the furthest. Throw so versus the, kick. So the Americans had yeah, ah. good throw the 
throw, fire that pigskin, as they like to say. <laughs> and um, and the uh, yeah, the Australians were kicking it. And Fred set the record at 89 yards, 11 inches, which so is between just, 76 and 81 meters. Well, just a shade off 90 foot, 90 yards. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, for clarification, how much did the big silo kick? Uh, I believe um, it never landed. It, got, it just hit <laughs> it the troposphere the and just kept on still going. Still going. It'll, it'll circle back around <laughs> in a yeah, decade eventually. or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Houston received the official title of world's longest drop kick and was given a silver-plated football in recognition. And if you go to the Fitzroy Heritage oh, Museum at Docklands, you can see it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's quite cool to look at as well. And then he went on and played another, like, the second half. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, no wonder they uh, they gave up nine goals, five in that third quarter. Yeah, they'd, all, they'd run out of puff. Yeah, they'd kick probably him. all been out there celebrating and watching him. And yeah, then, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, round six at Punt Road against the Tigers. Fitzroy captain Fred Houston played the game of his career when he turned seven heavy Richmond onslaughts in the last quarter. Um, so obviously that rock in defence, playing you know not distracted by a halftime kicking game, kicking competition. Uh, the Maroons held on to win this game by a solitary goal, ninety five to eighty nine. Round ten, former Cats player Jack Grant kicked a season high six goals against St Kilda in round ten, as the Gorillas won by twenty seven. He did this again in round fourteen against Melbourne when the Gorillas won by fifty. Great, I so, when you lived against Melbourne. <laughs> for the first time since nineteen twenty four, Fitzroy's back in the finals, like we said. Essendon nearly finished top, came in second with 10 wins, 5 losses, and finishing on 115.2. Yes, so uh, it's, a, it's the Reynolds show again here over at, uh, at Essendon Land. Captain coached by King Dick. Their lead goal kicker was uh, Tommy Reynolds with 31. Yes, um, and interesting to note that Reynolds couldn't actually make training most of this season because of the way his work clashed. So I didn't actually look up who coached them this, like who trained them this season, but he was able to do it. Coach on game day, but coach on game day. Such was his uh, his job, helping out with the war and working. I think munitions factory was where he worked. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, some debutants: Bill Brittingham, mm. who we'll hear more about. Sounds like a very upstanding man. Jack Cockburn, mm-hmm. and I wanted also to mention Keith Roll, Rowell. Um, he actually began in 42. He was the son of George Rowell, who was a 23-24 premiership player, a member of the Mosquito okay, Fleet. Yes. Oh. Um, now, Essendon managed to avoid the curse of the president's wife in the first game, despite Basher Williams taking the head off several players. Yeah, yeah. Um, and giving out Brownlow medalists, giving our Brownlow medalists two black eyes. Uh, Whopper Lane kicking six goals in that game, which was over by halftime as Essendon kicked eight goals to two to take a command. Um, and on that Essendon side, we talked about Percy Bushby, who got res- suspended for two weeks for striking Williams in retaliation. Yeah. Strong wins over Hawthorne, North Melbourne and Richmond saw Essendon then host Footscray at Windy Hill in round five. They're the team to beat. Well, they were at this stage, weren't they? We talked about that. And although uh, we went down to the Doggies by eight points, the game was described as one of the best seen at Essendon for some time. Mm. Uh, Round six was a great comeback win over Carlton at Princess Park. Down by a goal at three-quarter time, Essendon kicked five goals to two in the last quarter. Bob Drummond kicking four and Ernie Coward kicked the winning goal in the dying seconds. Good on him. Now, round 13, we had a top-of-the-table clash between Essendon and Fitzroy. At that point, you guys were then on the top of the ladder and basically sit there for the entire season. Yeah, we we were dominating. After round seven, yeah. Um, So we beat Fitzroy by 34 points. Hugh Tawney's six goals being the difference uh, as the Bombers ran away with the game after halftime. And at this stage, round 13, with a few games to play, with three games to play, Mm. um, we were a game clear on top. Mm. Good spot to be. However... The wheels would fall off a little bit. 
We lost the final three games of the season to Carlton, Footscray and Richmond to finish the season in second place, especially that final game yeah. um, being the one to determine top spot, which, which Richmond actually won convincingly. No, well, yeah, there was a, there's the... Uh not good wet weather players at this stage, the Bombers. They keep falling apart as soon as there's some mist in the air. Mm. What's going on there, Timothy? Look, Dick Reynolds li- uh, is uh, lying down. Um, it's, it's been quite a good season for that as well because you've got those... That would have been a really meaningful round 16. Yeah. You've got yeah. the top spot up for grabs. Yeah. You've got a spot Last. in the finals up for grab. You've got third spot between Carlton and... Fitzroy with the, the losers potentially dropping, dropping out. out exactly. And you've also got that South Melbourne St Kilda game from earlier in the season. So oh, I love blockbuster those. wise, yeah, if, there if, are, this, was there a, a if this was a televised season, there's a lot going on, isn't yeah. there? But there's a bit of blood there between Richmond and Essendon after the grand final last year. You guys oh, vlogged them earlier in the year. Mm. Um, well, yeah, we kind of had the wood over them yeah, for a while, for a while, and then coming into this game, yeah, yeah, very good. Um, speaking of Richmond, let's get to them. Yes. Richmond, top of the ladder, also with 10 wins, 5 losses, and a percentage of 123.1. So let's just reiterate here that the top three teams, Fitzroy, Essendon, and Richmond, all finished with the same amount of wins and losses, and they were ranked solely on their percentages. So, uh, top spot. Captain coached by Jack Dyer, lead goal kicker, was Dick Harris with 62. Not yes. Not Ginny Titus. No. Um, we'll hear a bit more about that. Now, oh. um, a few things I want to talk about before we get stuck into Richmond. Bill Cos- Cosgrove, we spoke about last episode. Yes. In the 42 season. Um, I've had a look through some books and I've spoken to Rhett Bartlett. Um, he didn't actually die until 43. No. Although there are many books that claim he died in 42, The probably the most popular one being Jack Dyer's biography itself. Mm. But rec- official records state that Cosgrove died in 43. So that letter w- that was written to Jack Dyer saying, you know, win it for Bill. From his widow. Yeah. Well, no, from, it wasn't from his widow. It was from his, like, attending officer or something oh, okay. like that. Um, oh, no. That he'd actually said that in 43, and then Richmond had then gone on to win yeah, yeah. the flag So we talked about it last year. Yeah, and we thought that was a story from last year, but we have but since found evidence to, that, to say it's actually 43. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for clearing that up, Tim. Thank you. So, uh, round one, Richmond lost their opening game to Carlton by 44 points, which at the time was the biggest loss for a team that would then go on to win the flag. In this game, though, Jack Titus equaled Jock McHale's record of 191 games, Mm. uh, consecutive games, that should be. Uh, Ron Durham played his first game and was so overawed by the occasion, he told Jack Dyer he would go back home to his family in the bush. And Dyer's response was, yes, go home to your mummy. Tie yourself to her apron strings and be a baby all your life. Or be a man, stay here and grow up. Uh, But several minutes later, told him to stick with it, son. You've got what it takes. Um, round two, Richmond defeated Collingwood by 19 points at Punt Road Oval. And uh, it's fitting that Jack Titus kicked four goals, passing Magpies coach Jock McHale for most consecutive games, now on 192. Good on him. Um, he would also break his nose in this game. <laughs> uh, and it should also be mentioned, uh, and I'm sure it'll get mentioned later, that Jack Dye did such a good job of bringing the side together in the season with so many out because of the war. Yes. Uh, round five, they had a good win over Melbourne with uh, Durham superb at fullback and Dick Harris kicking five goals. Uh, round eight, the Tigers took care of Hawthorne at Punt Road Oval with Jack Dyer kicking five. Meyer had been determined to take the pressure off Titus and be more effective around goal. Uh, and Dixie Maguire also thrilled the cl- crowd with his high marking. Mm. Dyer then backed this up, kicking six the following week against the Shinboners, and then came a round 11 win over the Dogs. And Jack Titus became the very first player to play at 200 consecutive league matches. 
Um, the league even sent him a congratulatory, a congratulatory telegram. Mm. Now, on Tuesday, the 20th of July, Frank Burke announced he'd join Richmond, uh, and this was big news and would have repercussions with the Richmond Football Club uh, for years to come as Francis Burke, his son, would become an absolute champion of the club. Now, Thursday, the 19th, the committee announced the, officially announced the death of Bill Cosgrove, killed in action whilst with the RAAF, uh, which we did mention during our World War II specials. Uh, the committee stood in silence as a mark of respect to his memory. Round 14, a shock five-point loss to Hawthorne saw the committee then question why Jack Titus wasn't at full forward as Dyer had moved him further up the ground. Yeah, yeah. Round 15, Jack Titus played his 204th consecutive game and his 294th overall game. However, in this game, he injured his ankle. He hadn't missed a game since 1933. He'd kick one goal, his 970th and final goal in league football. Richmond won this game by 24 points, uh, and that would be... Jack Titus's last game. Round 16 um, was a big game. They played S and then the winner taking top spot, which we mentioned earlier. And despite not scoring a goal in the first quarter, a nine goal to two second quarter gave the Tigers the advantage and they went on to seal the minor premiership. Dick Harris with four and Andy Brennan with four. And that is the Tigers. Great. Um, around the grounds, Murph, what do you got for us? Uh, obviously oh, yes. not much happening in the VFA, but elsewhere perhaps? Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action. Sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day, kick team. Welcome to another episode of Big Red's roundup. To Perth. And the winner of the Waffle Premiership this year was East Fremantle. Defeating Swan Districts in a classic grand final. Taking out the Sandover medal for the best and fairest this year was Jim Davis from Swan Districts and winning the Bernie Naylor medal for the most goals was Alan Watts from East Perth with 101 goals. In the Sandful and the winner of the Premiership was Norwood and North Adelaide, a merged side defeating Port and West Torrens. In a nail-biter, the leading goal kicker was William Isaac for the first time with 73 goals. Over in the VFA, where the season was abandoned due to the Second World War. That's another exciting year of football around Australia. Remember, kick straight. And now there's no Brownlow again this season. Um, And there's no... No, uh, no Changi Brownlow either. That, no. But is there a connection there with uh, our time at the moment? Will there, will there be a Brownlow this year? That's a very interesting question, Kaz. Mm, that is an interesting question, Kaz. I wonder. If there is, we will still obviously value it for what it is, but uh, will it be tainted? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. I don't, mm. I don't think so. They didn't so. do it then. Back then, well, they I didn't don't know, know why they didn't do it here. It's, it's, you know, it's a, a tricky season, but... Hmm. I mean, it's still going to be a best player for the season, isn't there? Well, you would if the if you're kicking out a team, one team halfway through, that's tricky. I was going to say that's. A I bit mean, so unfair. really, this, this is the last compromise season until 2020, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Cool. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I suppose if that, that if if you're saying not having Geelong is a compromise season, which it is, yeah. but also yeah, kicking out a team halfway through the year, even if Geelong was in this, it's still a compromise season. Same with and same with the 42 season with the unfair buy yeah, situation. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, so yes, there are lots of parallels, guys. You are mm. spot on. 
As um, always, just hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, <laughs> astute little observations. <laughs> Even a broken clock's right twice a day, they say. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good egg, a little bit cracked, but still good. <laughs> and we also uh, we might reiterate our call for uh, Peter Chitty to be installed as a Brownlow medalist for 42. Absolutely. Chitty. Fingerless Chitty, they used to call him. No, that's Bob. This oh, is his whoops. brother Peter who won oh. the Brownlow, the uh, Changi Brownlow. Didn't hit the nail on the head of that one. No, so if you go back and listen to the World War II interview with Roland Perry, Kaz, <laughs> uh, you'll hear all about how he won the Brownlow in the prison, as a prisoner of war. And we Definitely are, should be on the list. Yeah, we are fighting the good fight to try and get him installed as the official Brownlow winner for, for 1942. Oh, yes. At, at the least. At the very least. Yeah. Finals. Finals. All right. Um, really interesting to note here. The first week of the finals is the same as the last round. Yeah. Fitzroy just played Carlton and Essendon yeah. just played Richmond. Yeah, crazy, isn't that? Really? When has that ever happened? Never. Never. Well, not now with eight teams. It, no, it, it's it almost, couldn't happen. Well, it, it could, but the chances of it happening are very slim. Yeah, that nothing would change. No. Well, And now with the... With the uh... No, it doesn't matter. Don't worry. No, okay, Just ignore me. Okay. Um, yes, so the finals coming in. Our first final, as you just said, Fitzroy Carlton again. Mm-hmm. Um, Two new teams in from last season. Yes. Mm. Uh, obviously, no games still play- being played at the MCG. No. Uh, so these are all played at Princess Park. Yep. Uh, down there, almost 40,000 people, which uh, is massive. And actually, the second highest attendance just underneath the grand final yeah. this year. Uh, so on the 4th of September 1943, well, it wasn't. Well, from the outset, the Gorillas were hungry, yeah. Charlie. Leading from every change, a five goal to one third quarter inflicted the most damage. Despite Carlton mm. showing good intensity at the commencement of the second half, Fitzroy's defence was just too strong. And well, they controlled the game. That's it. Um, with stall gift winner Jack Grant kicking five goals for the Gorillas from full forward. I don't know if he won it that season. Uh, Fred Fitzgibbon revealed his volatility. Volatility, yes, in big matches, which would emerge spectacularly, spectacularly in forty-five. Mercurial, some would say. When he and Keith Stackpole Senior found themselves outed for two games apiece for attempting to strike each other, mm. um, Norm Hillard, Fred Houston, and Leo Monaghan are the best players. There you go. So it was a fifty-one point. It was win, a one-sided affair, basically, which, I mean, apart from the first quarter, which is huge for Fitzroy. Their first final in twenty. Yeah, nineteen years. Well. Yeah, first final they played in 19. I wonder yeah. whether they won one. And usually you come into a final, you know, you're daunted and you're not used to it, whereas the Carlton team won a flag not too long ago. Yeah, exactly. But like you look at them, I mean, Carlton, so they kicked three in the first quarter, didn't kick one in the second, kicked one in the third and another one in the in the last. Yeah, so it's really that second and third quarter. Yeah. And actually the whole game. But yeah, they just were no good, yeah. basically. So the final score was 94 to 43, Fitzroy winning by 51, which takes us through to the next week. Another replay, as we said, Richmond Essendon. Richmond coming off a glorious win over the Dons. Yes, um, but this would be just like the 2001 first week of the finals where <laughs> Richmond beat Essendon in the last round and then Essendon beat Richmond in the first week of the finals. Um, Essendon went into this game with injury concerns. However, Dick Reynolds had a thigh inju- issue. Uh, Seth Ruddle had a broken hand. Wally Buttsworth had something with his thigh as well. Limping into the finals. Uh, but they took command early. Three goals in three minutes and four of the first five. From there on, the rain tumbled down. And you said we weren't a good sport, good team in the wet. Um, Keith Rowell you got was- your goals early before it came. <laughs> Keith Rowell was the biggest surprise for the 
who the Tigers couldn't contend with. He kicked four goals. And Les Gardner, another youngster, also had a cracking game. It's kind of like the Essendon, the Essendon-Richmond thing at the moment reminds me of the West Coast-Sydney thing from 2004-2005. They're playing each other in a lot of finals. And you'll see this, this final is the reverse of last year's finals as well. Yeah, it's close. It's Yeah, yeah. it's good. You can't be thinking that they'd be preparing just for the battle against them. Yeah. You know, all the other teams, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. we're just doing this. Yeah. And they're very different teams. So mm. it's whoever whoever's better at their style on the day. Because yes. Richmond, oh, sorry, Essendon are small, fast, young. Yeah. Richmond are quite big. Big tough. and tough and yeah, generally slow. Yep. But this this year's a little bit different. They've got a few young young blokes in. But, yep. uh, yeah, interesting. But it's yeah. not quite the Mosquito fleet of old, though, is it? Oh, not, not at all. No, no, no. no, no, no. no different so, team. Yeah. Like, not the same strategy. No, so, no. So, Essendon, through. Yeah, through, get a week off. Winning by 23 points then, 71 to 94, the week off. And Richmond going to play against those gorillas. Yeah. The Tiger versus Gorilla. That I would watch. <laughs> That I would definitely watch. Yeah, gorilla. I mean, in real life, a gorilla would smash it. <laughs> smash a tiger, surely. You can't bite through that tough hide. You'd think so. Um, so, uh, look, a, a five goal to two opening quarter for the gorillas was a brilliant start. Yes. Um, but as you said, the tigers were bigger and stronger and just wore down Fitzroy. That's it. They just um, who were apparently the back. Yeah, they were the walking wounded by the last quarter. Jack Dyer was just throwing elbows all over the place. What? That doesn't sound like him. Ron Durham was superb in defence, and Jack Broadstroke was in control and dominating the middle with Jack Dyer. Yeah. Which sees a repeat of the 42 grand final. We have an Essendon-Richmond grand final again. An Essendon-Richmond grand final. Two years in a row. So in front of 42,100 people at Princess Park on the 25th of September... Uh, to settle the score, two fifty p.m. to uh, for Jack to uh, to get his back from last year to do it for uh, Bill, as the letter asked. <laughs> let's see what happened. Let's mm. uh, let's go down and talk to the uh, the captain of the winning team. Talk to Jack. Hopefully he's not too fiery. Remember, remember how he was like yes. the last year. We'll see. Hey Jack, lovely to be speaking to you today. Uh, and almost actually our second year in a row. We did actually hear you in the background last year. Well, yes. Uh, uh, we didn't quite get, get the job done last year. And, and uh, as you obviously heard, I was pretty stunned by that loss. And not just me, but the whole team. You know, it, uh, it definitely put it under fire a lot this year. And hasn't it come off? <laughs> Absolutely, Jack. Well, tell us a bit more about that. How did you feel before the start of the year? And, and what did you change from your preparation? We uh, had a couple of new guys uh, come into the team, which definitely helped. Uh, young Leo Maguire, who got a lot of confidence from the last um, for a few games last year, and Ron Durham, um, you know, he was, a, he was a fantastic find. And Max Max Duffy, well, did he manage to put a blank on his cousin today? And uh, importantly, it was very important. Uh, we we just kept on uh, playing with courage and, and uh, confidence all year. Uh, we should say there, Jack, that um, Oppie's cousin is actually Dick Reynolds. Um, an almost impossible task for any player. It shows there must be something in that blood, I reckon. Uh, now, the year didn't get off to a great start, though. What do you think was holding you back? No, no, uh, no it certainly didn't. Uh, round one definitely dinged us up, losing, a, losing by more than uh, 40 points to the Carlton, but we just battled through and, and kept close. Uh, we made a few changes, uh, brought in a couple of blokes and, and uh, tried to get the boys to lift. Well, we may not have uh, been the most talented side going around, but we sure played with half, and uh, that made a difference in the end. 
Yeah, so coming into the final round of the year, you guys were up against it. You played Essendon, the team that really had held the top spot since round seven, and without skinny Titus for the first time in a long time. Yeah, what an achievement that was. 204 consecutive games for Titus, but there was no way he could have got up uh, for that match. We were lucky with the weather. It allowed us to, to play our style. and you know, We had a huge second quarter, and that, that pushed us past them. Uh, it was nice uh, to finish the season, and we thought... Um, that we deserved to be, and they definitely gave us the, the mental edge uh, coming into finals. So after that, you guys had a pretty light week and waited for your shot to play Essendon again. Uh, did you think about changing anything from the week before? No, no, not at all. Um, we went out and, and tried to take away from them. Um, they got the jump on us early, and uh, we couldn't quite uh, pull it back. Uh, but having uh, Fitzroy to back up against made us feel a bit wobbly, but we uh, made some changes, and... We've got uh, Baggett and Checker uh, to come in during the week and to fire the boys up, and didn't that work? We, we planned to stop the runner uh, out of the back line, and, and uh, Borden uh, did it superbly. So heading into today, a repeat of last year, but with nine changes to your Tigers side, uh, did you think Essendon's experience might outshine you? Uh, never. We knew our youthful exuberance and our old heads working together would be the perfect combination. Uh, we gave ourselves every chance as well uh, with a curfew, no drinking throughout the week lead up, leading up. Um, and we actually heard that maybe a couple of blokes tried to push the envelope with that uh, no drinking rule, Jack. Mm, I don't know what you mean, uh, but I will say a couple of guys may have had a harder night of training the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like yeah, it was a great way to handle it. So tell us about running uh, out onto Princess Park. Um, how did you feel? Uh, we heard that there were a few things happening before the game as well. Yeah, we had a, a couple of MPs uh, come to take Broadstoke away as a, for being absent without leave, but we managed to convince them to let him stay. And uh, then we had a letter from Bill Cosgrove's widow that we read before the game to fire us up, and that definitely did the job. We felt strong, fit, confident, and we came out firing. You certainly did, mate, getting uh, those first three goals off before Essendon managed to click into gear, and it started getting a bit testy, uh, with Harris going down and Dick getting a cut over the eye from his cousin. Uh, it was close the whole way through, though, and Essendon managed to claw back an 11-point lead coming into that last quarter. Now, can you take us through that last quarter in your own words? Frantic. Best word I could use. I felt like we had the run of the play, but just couldn't quite convert. I, I was inaccurate in front of goal, you know, missing a couple. And then we managed to get our eye in. We moved a few fellas behind the ball and, and uh, just stopped Essendon from getting another goal with us just ahead of them. When Steele marked in defence just seconds to go, we knew we had it done. It was pure elation. Ah, pains me to say this. So, Jack, tell me now, uh, your, your premiership captain, coach, uh, who do you think was the best player afield? Honestly, guys, it has to be me. I wouldn't say if it wasn't true, but I feel like I couldn't have played any better than that. The season was on the line and we managed to get it done. Has the seven goals were unbelievable as well. And and Bernie Walton, he had an absolute ripper. Uh, thanks for talking us through that last quarter, Jack. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Oh, of course, guys. Thanks for the chat. Now, so um, just some of the stats from that game. Um, Dick Harris with seven goals. Seven. It's huge for a grand final. Jack Dyer, three. Bob Borden, one. Jack Broadstroke, one. But also... Tommy Reynolds for Essendon, seven, seven goals as well, as well in I a know. losing team. A massive. Hugh Tawney, two. Gordon Lane, one. Keith Rowell, one. Um, yeah, closest grand final since 1921. That well. seven from uh, Tommy Reynolds as well seems even more impressive considering 
um, how much Richmond flooded the back line in the in the second half there as well. Like it was a real oh, unbelievable. It was a really tight affair. Yeah. Now I could tell you all about Richmond and uh, their, their grand final win, but we thought what better person to give us a bit more information about it than one of the official club historians. Hello, this is Rhett Bartlett, the Richmond historian. Thanks for letting me say a few words about the 1943 premiership, which I think uh, is largely ignored by football supporters and journalists when they talk about Richmond history. For one, it's the last Richmond Premiership before the television era. So all that exists visually is a few minutes. There's the the teams getting their photo taken on the field, the coin toss by the captains on the wing. Jack Dye actually tosses the coin himself. The national anthem and and then a few snippets of play. Uh, Secondly, most journalists and supporters of football history are just lazy. They rarely go back earlier than their personal memories or the 1960s. Have a look on Twitter or in the newspapers where they the best of lists only go back 50 years or go back in the last 20 years. They very rarely occur anything before the 1960s and very rarely anything before World War II. And the, uh, the Australian Football League's Hall of Fame is a perfect example of that with the lack of pre-World War II inductees over the last decade. And it's also... In a way, this 1943 premiership, because of the 24-year gap between Richmond flags, between this premiership and the next one, which is 1967, the two premierships get bundled together, which means that the 43 premiership rarely gets discussed by itself. So before the grand final takes place, Richmond finish first on the home and away ladder, Essendon finish second, and under the Page McIntyre system, first and second play in the semi, the winner goes straight to the grand final. Essendon win that semi-final by 23 points. So they're in the grand final, but they have a week's rest. Richmond, the following week, then defeats Fitzroy by 25 points. And Richmond and Essendon are now going to face off in the grand final in what is a rematch of the 42 grand final. Now, some observations about the 43 premiership. The game is played at Princess Park as the MCG was being used as a service camp during World War II. Dyer is captain coach of Richmond. The crowd's just over 42,000 people. And before the game, there's about 140 telegrams that are received in the Richmond rooms by players and members serving overseas. I remember speaking to Frank Burke Sr., who's the father of Francis Burke, the great Richmond champion, And Frank Burke played for Richmond, and he talked about learning about who won the 1943 premiership um, by his father writing to him while he was serving overseas. So um, correspondence, letter-writing, telegrams was hugely important in communicating news back then um, and also communicating your passion as a member or a former player to your club. One telegram that came was from the club's 1920 ruck lineup of Barney Herbert, Dave Moffat, and Clary Hall, which I think is just an absolutely beautiful thing that the three of them sent this one telegram to wish the club best of luck. Um, for, for the first time in the whole year, Richmond fields an unchanged side. Um, 
when the games starts, they have a, a few field positional changes. Jack Broadstock's put at centre-half forward, and Max Oppie, who's the youngest player in the Richmond team at 18 years of age, is given the task by Jack Dyer with tagging his cousin, this is Oppie's cousin, Dick Reynolds, who's 10 years older than him, has played 158 more games, has already won his three Brownlow medals, and has won six club best and fairests. Uh, now, Dyer would be praised in the press after the game for his captaincy. But the lasting story that's come from this premiership is the way that Max Oppie nullified Dick Reynolds, basically tagged him out of the game. And when I started interviewing Richmond footballers back in 2000, there were five members still alive of the 43 flag. There was Polly Perkins, uh, who played halfback, Max Oppie, Arthur Barr Kemp, who was the follower, uh, Len Ablett, who was reserves, and Jack Dyer, who played in the ruck. But Dyer was in poor health by the time I started my book, so I didn't get to really interview him. But I did speak to the other four, and they helped fill out my sort of Richmond history book that I had written, The Oral History of the Club. So I thought, who better to hear about tagging Dick Reynolds out of the game in 1943 Premiership than the player himself? So Here's a snippet of my interview with Max Oppie talking about the 1943 Premiership. Dyer said that you were the only man who could stop Dick Reynolds that day. Oh, well, I suppose I was only... Oh, look, put it this way, I was disciplined. If I was given a job to do, I'd do it to the best of my ability. And I had that... They were talking about targets and whatever today. Uh, virtually, that was, that was my job for the day. It didn't matter where he went on the field. Whether he went off the ball, I went to the back pocket. Didn't matter where Diggy Reynolds went, it was to keep him out of the play. Because at that time, he was the match-winning rover and, and probably the best rover in the league at the time, pretty well, I'd say. And uh, that, that was the job, to look to blanket him and just keep him out of the game. And you succeeded? Oh, yeah. Did you get some kicks yourself? Oh, yeah, you got a few kicks, yeah. I mean, it was a... Dickie, Dickie got about six stitches in his eye, but that was all right. Shall I ask how he got those? Okay. How did he get stitches? <laughs> I don't know. Just run into me. Oh, this. <laughs> you came off the ground at the end of that premiership, or... I mean, what was the people's reactions to your performance? I mean, did Dyer say, you know, you, you did what I told you to do? Oh, you well, happy I think what I did. Were you... Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd done what I was supposed to do, yeah. was put him out of the game, yeah. and still play a bit of football as well. Uh, if they keep kicking the ball to them, it becomes a contest, doesn't it? And if, if you're close and in front, and you're more than you could be, uh, he just didn't like it. So that was Max Oppie. Now, the game itself was very close. Richmond led, led by 10 points at quarter time, 8 points at half time, and Essendon led by five points at three-quarter time. And in the last quarter, the Tigers led by as much as 15 points. And then Essendon surged back, and and, and Hugh Tawney kicks a goal for Essendon to bring them within four points. What appears to happen next, and remember there's no footage of this, is that at the bounce, Max Oppie passes to his teammate Bert Edwards, whose kick ends up in the hands of Essendon's Percy Bushby, but his kick is intercepted by Richmond's Leo Maguire, 
who gives it to Polly Perkins, then to Max Oppie, um, then to Edwards again, and then on to Roy Quinn for Richmond, who kicks a point. And on the kickout, Dick Harris somehow ends up kicking another point, and so Richmond are up by exactly one goal. And the ball moves down towards Essendon's forward line, where Norm Betson of Essendon marks and has a chance to effectively draw the game. But he kicks into the man on the mark, but then gathers the loose ball, and his kick is then rushed through as a behind. And the siren goes not long after that. And Richmond win their premiership by five points. Some stats from the game. Richmond have 79 marks. Essendon have 61 marks. Tom Reynolds of Essendon kicks seven goals in a losing side. Dick Harris for Richmond kicks seven goals seven in the winning side. But Harris's 7-7 means he tops the league goal kicking by one goal over Fred Fanning of Melbourne. Harris even missed the first two games of the season. Fanning is awarded the, the Coleman medal because he leads the goal kicking at the end of the home away season. Melbourne don't play in the, in the finals this year. Um, but Harris uh, ends on 63 goals. Jack Dyer and Dick Harris are the only players from the 1934 Premiership, which was Richmond's last Premiership, to play in the 1943 Premiership. And since, since 1919, Richmond have missed the finals only uh, six years, that being the final four. Um, they missed in 1922, 23, 25, 26, 36, and 38. That's an incredible run by the Richmond Football Club. Between 1919 and 1943, they finished in the top four pretty much every year apart from six times. Now, the post-match celebrations uh, was a dinner held in the club rooms, and the Richmond councillor came in and said that the 1934 centenary flag would be flown above the Richmond Town Hall for a week in celebration. Uh, Waldron, uh, Bernie Waldron is deemed best player in the grand final for his work in the centre, and Arthur Bar Kemp receives the club's trophy for best player across the three finals matches. Um, in fact, I remember him decades later bringing down that trophy, sitting it on his lap on a train uh, so he can donate it to the Richmond Museum. Uh, Dick Reynolds, after the match, is quoted as saying that Dyer, I think, won the grand final for them. It was one of his greatest games. I thought we would win when we took the lead in the third quarter, but Richmond fought back with great spirit just when we seemed to have their forwards, except Harris covered. Dyer went there and stiffened their attack. And Checker Hughes, who had played in premierships with Richmond and coached Richmond to premiership, uh, was watching this day too. And he said that when Jack Scott was hurt for Richmond, Dyer pushed to a back pocket to hold Tom Reynolds. And when Buttersworth uh, was troubling Broadstock at centre-half forward, Dyer came to the rescue. Uh, and he went full forward to allow Borden to go on the ball. And then in the crucial closing stages, Dyer hovered near the centre, attacking and defending in turn. So the press uh, and those watching were mighty impressed with um, the way that Dyer captained this match. Checker Hughes went on to say that Borden for Richmond was more or less a decoy at full forward. The real spearhead was Dick Harris, and he was to stay wide out on the flank waiting for the ball, which his comrades were to drive to the open space in front of goal between the centre-half forward and full forward. Thus, Harris was able to anticipate many passes. 
That probably explains why Harris kicks 7-7. A couple of postscripts to this. The Tigers, it's quoted as saying, won substantial money in wages. The Richmond stable, as it's quoted as saying, won between 500 and 600 pounds. So someone profited from Richmond's win. Richmond's goal-kicking champ, Jack Titus, announces his retirement after the game. He didn't play in the grand final. He hadn't played since round 15 due to an ankle injury. But he ends his career on 970 goals, uh, which is still a club record. It's 170 more than Matthew Richardson kicked. It's almost 200 more than Kevin Bartlett kicked. Uh, Ron Durham, playing fullback in his first season, wins the Richmond Best and Fairest. 18 years later, he would tragically die at the age of 40 after being electrocuted in his greenhouse at home. You might remember the Richmond Football Club not long ago decided that anyone who's a premiership player is automatically a life member. So as part of that, we had to track down relatives of all the former Richmond players who had passed on who had played in a premiership. And Ron Durham's daughter came down to accept his life membership posthumously. And I'll never forget, um, she came up to us and she was in tears and she thanked us because she was so happy that Richmond had still remembered her father. After all these years, after what is it, 70 years or so, 80 years, um, and it was really an emotional day for her, and I, I learnt not long after that she sadly passed away, and it's one of um, meeting her, and, and that day that the club held was an incredible day, and one that will always stay with me. Um, Richmond would obviously receive uh, a medallion of some sort for winning the 1943 Premiership. It wasn't an actual medal that you hang around your neck, but it was like a plaque. Just think like an, an A4 book standing up. And the Richmond Football Club received that, but they didn't receive it in 1943. They received it in December 1948. And the reason it took that long was because of the short shortage of metal during World War II the club couldn't simply afford to manufacture or purchase the metal or pay someone to make the plaques. And there's a photograph of Jack Dyer and the team receiving the plaques at a dinner. And for years we just assumed it was at the end of the season until we discovered it. The last thing I'll say is this. In the crowd watching the 1943 Premiership that day was a 13-year-old Collingwood supporter who 24 years later would coach Richmond to their next premiership. His name was Thomas Stanley Raymond Hafey. Thanks for letting me talk about the 1943 premiership. Um, and reserve premiers this year was St Kilda, back-to-back, -back, coached by Huey Thomas, former Collingwood reserves coach. Ah, yes. Remember he, uh, yes. he had a falling out fired. with Jock. Yeah. What's it, what was his nickname again? It was something good. It was something like... Something very muscular and manly. Not <laughs> horse nail. Not horse nail, no. <laughs> Not Harry horse nail. <laughs> All right, and that... that was actually, you so, know, run through of the season? So. Well, let, let me let me go through some retirements first. Ah, yes. Um, we have Ron Sox Cooper. 159 games, 171 goals. He won a flag with Carlton. Hugh Tawney of Essendon, 173 games and a flag. Len Ablett of Richmond. 
Yeah, um, there's a name. Yeah, he is a relation as well. Oh, well. Uh, finishing on a bang there with Richmond. Jim Knight of Geelong and Carlton with 57 games. Jim Francis of Hawthorne and Carlton, 223 games and a flag. Skinny Titus. Jack Skinny Titus. 294 games, 970 goals, two flags, and the uh, consecutive games record yes. in the league, so which would the- stand until... Jim Steins, Jim Steins on Steins, so 204 games in a row. Yeah, unbelievable. Massive. Yep. Um, we've also got Ambrose Palmer, the uh, Footscray boxer. Ah, yes. Three games. Uh, Danny Gwinane with Richmond, 102 games. Umpire Alan Coward played his last, uh, umpired his last game, 107 games, two grand finals. Uh, and Roy Kazali, as we as we mentioned before as well, finishing up uh, his, his distinguished time. VFL career. Yeah, which, you That's know, it this time? Uh, sorry? No other guest appearances of coaching and no. other things? Oh, he does a lot more in Tassie, but this is VFL. Yeah, done so there. he's really That's... really done after coaching South Hawthorne, South Melbourne and Hawthorne, sorry. Playing 99 games for South, St Kilda, 99 for South. Yeah, and uh, he coached 82 for those two clubs, 52 for South and 30 for Hawthorne. He would continue on with uh, Newtown and... Um, East... Hobart, no, isn't it? So no, he's already coached North Hobart. No, forty-eight to fifty-one. He's at Newtown. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's been great learning about that. Mm. Yeah. And look, we'll hear more about Kazali of the song and the Kazali Awards in the seventies as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Which we'll get to. So wrapping up this uh, this asterisk season, this season the was compromise yeah. season. Uh, the wooden spoon. St Kilda. St Kilda. <laughs> uh, it is there. And Collingwood. Let's say Collingwood yep, got it as well. I agree. Yeah. Tw- St Kilda's 12th wooden spoon. Yeah. How many for Collingwood, I wonder? <laughs> not many. <laughs> no. not, not, at this stage, none. <sighs> then we won until 76. Um, ah. Leading goal kicker. Uh was it um, Dig Harris from Richmond? Well, which we're going the, uh, the Coleman rules. <laughs> Let's talk Let's both. both. Coleman rules, we got Fred Fanning. 62. Uh, we could take that one then. Coleman rules. Yes, please. Um, Frederick. If, if we go the, uh, are we calling it the Gordon Coventry? Yeah. Gordon Coventry medal, The including finals, Dick Harris, 63. Dick Harris. Pipping him by one. Um, no Brownlow medal awarded, obviously. And premiers were Richmond over Essendon by five points. Are we going to, um, five. well, yes, are we going to take an opportunity to name a Brownlow medalist ourselves? Oh, there was there was a, a champion of the colony. Oh yeah, okay. Let's talk about that. That's who good. was who was it? Champion of the colony. Was colony. it Kazali somehow? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was Jack Dyer. Oh, it, it would make Collins sense. He had a pretty bloody good year. Yeah. Let me just look it up. Norm Smith medalist, best on ground in a grand final for sure. <laughs> I don't know about Jürgen? fair. Yeah. All right. So 1943. Yeah, champion of the colony, Jack Dyer. Yeah. yeah had to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and premiership tally as of 1943 we've got Collingwood with 11 Essendon 7 Fitzroy 7 Carlton 6 Melbourne 5 Richmond 5 Geelong 3 South Melbourne 3 yeah not looking too shabby no not too shabby at all that was a short one for me thanks for including me oh actually yeah McCracken name award McCracken Um, let me go through palm hand pat hand pat hand (laughs) (laughs) we got here, here we go we got Fred Negri, Dick Day, Basil Bretherton, Bretheron, That's right. George Garlic, Bill Icky, Jack Sweet, Ron Hobber, Harry Gingle, Gingle? Gingel. <laughs> Gingel. Pat Hand, Alan Nutter, Ron Boys, Ted Tuhill, and Jack Cockburn. Uh, oh, I know this is a very important decision. You guys out there really, really take, take, this, take seriously. this seriously. We're definitely going with 
Is it George Garlic? Yes, George, George Garlic. Because I of like your it. funny thing you said in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Goes well with Goes. basil onions. <laughs> yes. Um, also, Carlton, uh, Carlton had the highest score this season, 28 goals, 10, 178. First round? Uh, good question. Good question. No. No, I don't think so. Basil onions. Well, probably that one against Collingwood when they smashed yeah. Collingwood. Yeah, yeah. Basil onions and George Garlic. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, well, that's Love a uh, that's a wrap-up of the Thanks 43 lot. season. 43. So we've been going for almost 50 years of football now, 50 years of AFL mm. in 47. Mm. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. What an era. We're going to run we're going to run through a a audio banner. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> it's going to be great. Cuz you're the music man. We're figure Can we out work how, out how we run through an audio banner. Can we banner? Walk, run through a wall of sound? <laughs> yeah. Is that possible? So can't feel yeah. perspective. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, well, we get to re-record lots of cheers. I know you guys will love doing that. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Um Excellent. Well, so, guys, it's nice been to be, get back into doing a proper season after yes, a little special. Yes. And record something not on Zoom yes, as well. Yes, being back face proper to face, audio. which is delightful. We yeah. can do a Zoom one if you really want. Um, <laughs> I know we are super excited for the season to come back. Yeah. I, I'm sure everyone else out there is as well. But in the meantime, please you know, f- curl up with us for a little <laughs> while longer and just enjoy the old times, the good old days. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hooroo! out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com you can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on twitter and instagram under at kicktokickpod thanks so much for listening